It's a new day and time for another NCEA podcast. Federal benefits, support instruction, professional development, program enhancements, and services that improve operational vitality, help sustain academic excellence, and promote growth of our schools. And private school students and faculty should have every opportunity to participate in federal education programs. But every year, funds that can be used to provide these programs are not fully allocated, and in some circumstance, not even utilized. Join me on a virtual trip to Mideast as we visit with my esteemed colleague and friend to discuss how to navigate the consultation process to receive maximum federal benefits. I'm Laura MacDonald, and this is NCEA Podcast Federal Funding Edition. Our guest today is no guest at all, Sister Dale McDonald, Vice President of Public Policy here at NCEA. Welcome to the podcast, Sister Dale. Thank you, Laura. I'm very happy to be here to share some information with you and with all of our colleagues out there. Thank you. While NCEA headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia, our teams work mainly remote, so I'm always grateful for some time with you, Sister Dale. How many years have you worked for NCEA now? This is my 28th year. That is incredible. I think so, too, when I I think about it. (laughs) If our listeners have been to convention, CLS, Law Symposium, or even Capitol Hill, they are likely to have heard you speak. Um, When it comes to Catholic school educational policy issues, Sister Dale is the expert but we all spend so much time learning from you. We may not know your story, Sister Dale. What led you to a career in Catholic education and to NCEA? Well, I always loved school, you know, both the social side and the learning side. Um, And in high school, I had a history teacher who on occasion would invite a student to prepare a class lesson and to teach it. And um, I loved doing that. I always volunteered to do that. And I guess that's what began my interest in being a teacher. And I was a teacher for a number of years. I was a teacher and administrator in Catholic schools in New York City. Um, And then when I did my doctoral work at Boston College, I focused on policy issues, particularly the whole school choice question and some efforts that were not successful, but were pursued. Uh, And I wrote my dissertation about that. And um, it seemed then a perfect match when a position became available at NCEA to work as the policy director. And here I am since 1995. And we are so glad you are. So let's get let's get right into the topic. So I have a true or false here. True or false. If your school participates in federal programs, the government can dictate what happens in your school. Oh, that's false. Absolutely <laughs> false. Um, when the Department of Education was organized back in the 19, mid-1970s, there was a very clear provision put in the, the organizing act that said specifically that any you know supervision or control over schools, the curriculum, instruction, administration, personnel, anything um, could not be a uh, part of the uh, supervision of the, on the part of the government. Um, and that's whether it's a public school or a private school. So the government has no oversight. Um, the actual oversight um, 
for ours, of course, is with the diocese. But then there may be some state and federal regulations like fire and attendance and that that we do have to comply with. But it's not that the feds are coming in and are going to <laughs> take over and make you do A, B, and C. No. <laughs> so I bet you got that question a little bit. But what about, what would you say is the top question you hear from administrators regarding federal funding? Top question would be, can the, can the district really do that? <laughs> and um, I hear that so often where, you know, our, our administrators try to pursue a program that's available to them and the district says, no, no, you can't do that. So there's a lot of misunderstanding out there, a lot of ignorance too on the part of what the law says and, you know, how it's to be administered and what rights exist for both the district and our Catholic school. Um, so that our students and teachers get what the law says they're entitled to. So, you know, unfortunately, that lack of understanding, you know, is on part of both the public school officials and often on times as well on our part, our, our Catholic school people. So um, it's important, you know, that our officials are aware of the law, the regulations, the guidance, all the pieces that the Department of Ed has put out that says how the programs are supposed to work. And all of that information that's relevant to what our people need to know for accessing these programs is on the public policy page of the website. So the actual documents are there that, you know, I always say to people, download them, print them, take them with you to the meeting bring an extra copy because sometimes the public school person hasn't actually seen these documents. <laughs> they got lost somewhere between the state education department, the superintendent's office where they are and the other various offices. So it's, it's important that we have um, the right materials that we know what we're entitled to. And so that was a long winded way of saying, you know, um, frequently, my answer is, can the district do that? Yeah, no, <laughs> they're not supposed to. <laughs> All right, let's talk very briefly about Every Student Succeeds Act, its purpose, and the general provisions of each of our title funds. Okay, well, I'll have to do that quickly because each of the titles could be a whole workshop. But <laughs> since 1965, um, teachers and other private, you know, and re other religious faith-based schools are able to participate in some parts of these programs. And the law is clear about what parts are eligible for our uh, accessing. Um, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act um, is the program. It gets amended every so often. And so right now we talk about the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, ESEA, as amended by the Every Student Succeeds Act. It's just technical, um, but frequently you'll hear people in the, in the government refer to it as the ESEA, the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. So what we need to know is that participation in these programs does not provide the school with any direct funding. The funds are distributed um, to the state from the federal government. Uh, then it goes from the state to the LEA, the public school district. And for most of the programs, we deal with the district in which our school is located. Title I is different. You deal with the school 
where the child would have gone were he or she in a public school. So what the district provides is an allocation of funding set aside to serve private school children. And with that, they then provide goods and services um, to the private school. So no money changes hands, um, but um, we, we refer to this part of the program as the equitable services. There the law says that equitable services should be delivered to um, private school students under certain conditions. So um, program that's probably most accessed to one of the programs is the Title I, Improve the, Improving the Academic Achievement of Disadvantaged Students. And that's basically providing supplemental educational services for eligible students to help them succeed academically. Um, frequently, uh, efforts are put into reading and math, but other subjects as well as guidance counseling uh, are available under that program. Then Title II, which is the preparing, training, and recruiting teachers and school leaders, that's basically the professional development program. And that's to improve the professional knowledge and expertise of the teachers to meet the needs of the students. All of these programs are based on what are your students' needs and what do the students need in terms of compensatory services to overcome them, what do teachers need in order to be able to help the students. Uh, there's a Title III that's for language instruction for English learners and immigrant students, and that provides um, funds to help improve teaching and provide materials to students for whom English is not their first language. Then Title IV has a number of programs, but basically um, it's funded to provide students with a well-rounded education, which is not just the basic reading, writing, and arithmetic, but arts and culture and a variety of other programs, as well as um, uh, improving school conditions for health and safety, and then um, a whole component for technology. So students improve um, their academic achievement, I'm sorry, with uh, dig digital literacy options. Um, so that, that's a basic components of, of Title IV. Each one, you know, has very specific um, directions and guidance and um, all of that, you know, requires a little more time than we have today. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's discuss the consultation process. This is the process that is going to involve the school administrator. Um, the process begins with an intent to participate. When should schools start looking for this invite? Right. It's, it's important that people, you know, frequently I find people go, what's, what's that? I never heard of that. <laughs> well, actually, um, there's no specific date in the law for when that should happen. But if the program for students is supposed to begin at the start of the school year, you want some time in the late spring to begin working with the district uh, to look at what are the programs that we're going to use this year. The district is required by law to contact every private school in its, in its boundaries and uh, ask, do you want to participate in programs? And if so, which? So... Um, what I tell people is, you know, that's the district responsibility, but don't wait around for them to get to contacting you. If you haven't heard from them by mid-May, 
contact the district and say, we want to participate, we want to begin consultation, can we set up a calendar? My first year as principal, um, I never heard from my LEA. And I was brand new, and I knew my students were eligible for resources and services, but I had no idea where to begin. I, I went, I made my appointment with the local district, um, with the person that I was told coordinated the funding. Um, the person was new to their position. And when I arrived for our appointment, she wasn't even aware that she was in charge of title funding at all. She did not know it was in her purview. And they, t they t told me, sorry, I don't think private schools qualify. <laughs> and so I really relate with your story. Um, I didn't know the process. And that's where it's important, um, as I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. to go on the NCEA website, find the documents that you need. They're under each of the programs. Download them and have paper copies so that Absolutely. someone like the person you encountered and this constant changeover in the districts. It's, it's very rare to have a person there for several years doing the same program. So it's important, you know, that we have the paperwork. Um, and and there, is a, there is a required process for consultation. Um, right, right. The law specifically lists down what the process is. Um, it's, it's not a one-time meeting. It's a process to design the program, to start the development of the program, deliver services, assess the services, see what needs to be changed for the next go-round, and so on. So um, we've had so much trouble over the years with the consultation process so that in this last um, reauthorization of the, of the ESEA, we were um, able to get uh, particular safeguards put into the consultation process, um, it's not a case of, you know, we'll tell you what you get, take it or leave it. Uh, right, you know, right. it says clearly in the law that the goal of consultation is to reach consensus that the district and the private school personnel agree on what the program will look like, what its purposes will be. They list very clearly all of the steps that you're supposed to follow in the um, in the whole funding in the whole consultation process. So, it's important, you know, that you pay attention to what's outlined in the in the law and regulations, and that you work with the district through each of those particular points. Um, Absolutely. And and one of the things that we clearly got into um, in this last uh, reauthorization was um, very specific directions about the calculation of funding. Mm -hmm. um, so the district is required to tell you what the funding process is, how much money is available, how they calculated it, and what your share is. So that the process basically, uh, or the, the um, allocation process, is you look at the number of students in the district, what percent are, and that's public and private, what percent are public, what percent are private. And that percentage determines the way the funding is, is allocated. So that if the private schools in the district combined are 3% of the population, then 3% of that funding is set aside for private school participation. 
the um, district then says, well, you know, you've got $250,000 and there are, you know, um, 425 kids in this district. And so the 25,000 divided by the 400 kids gives you the per pupil allotment. They call it the PPA. Um, and that PPA should be the same for public school and private school. If you take the number, the percentage divided into the uh, total allocation and, and that number is supposed to tell you, and then you figure out how are you going to spend that money. And again, you get numbers for the whole district, but you'll find out that for your school and your like 140 kids that may be eligible, the PPA, the PPA is $130, $240, $700. It depends. Depends on right. the program. Right. Are there other questions our administrators should ask when they go in um, for this consultation once the calculated allocation is um, decided? It's basically ask for a worksheet. You know, how much is in Title One? How much is in Title Two A? How much is in Title Three? How much is in Title Four? This part, this part, this part. What is the number? And in addition to finding out, you know, what is the PPA this year, the other question, there are the two questions are, it, are there carryover funds from last year? Were, yes. you know, we were not given enough notice to spend X dollars last year. That's supposed to be added on top of the PPA we have now. That belongs to the private school money. Uh, and, and they calculate that as part of the, the PPA. Then you look at, um, are you applying for any state grants? Are you applying for any competitive grants? Because for several of the programs that are available, there is a state, a state level funding distribution that they can do a statewide activity. And if the district is participating, then the private school has access to the similar participation. Okay. So those are the two big things for funding. And then you need to talk about some of the other pieces about the actual services. Right. So when you're going for the actual services, your LEA is going to expect plans for goals, implementation, assessment. I know that's going to vary from LEA to LEA, but what should administrators, how should they best prepare for this step? Well, the important thing is to, you know, understand the requirements for participation in each of the programs. And then you go to the consultation process with the data. Do they need to know the number of kids in poverty? Do they need to know um, things about uh, achievement levels? Um, what is it that, you know, you, you need the data you need to provide? And then what is, you know, what are the needs? Somehow you document um, succinctly, but you document, you know, that in the fourth grade, there is, this seems to be this issue with reading fluency or in the math, um, results for the fifth grade fractions seem to be an issue. So what we need would be more help materials for improving the learning process, more, um, professional development for the teachers. And so you go with the plan, um, you need to send the second grade teachers for professional development, for um, reading fluency, uh, or hire t 
reading coaches to provide services to the teachers so they can improve, help children improve. You have a plan. What do you think? You do some in research. Where do you want to have this happen? How do you want to have it happen? Do you want to take a class at a college? Do you want to go to two workshops? Do you want coaches to come in and work with the teachers on site? You know, and some estimate estimation of what that might cost so that you let the district know you have put some effort into this. You know what the students' needs are, and this is how we can best meet those needs with these programs and services. I think this is a good place, too, to lean on colleagues. You might be the only Catholic school that works with a certain LEA if you're in a small area, but this is an area where we can really lean in and and work with others in our diocese for support. Right. You can do a number of things. Um, One of the things I suggest is that there are a lot of nuances to each of these programs. So if you, if you are lucky to be in a school district that has two or three other Catholic schools or private schools, you can work with, you know, the Jewish day schools or the Lutherans, um, where you might say, well, I'll be the title one person. You be the title two person. You be the IDEA person, the special education person. And you can negotiate on behalf of all of us, um, for the services to the students so that, one person becomes a kind of specialist and, and simply gets a proxy sign off from the other schools. I authorize so-and-so to negotiate the Title I services on our behalf so that someone has a little more facility working with one program, fully understanding it. Um, there are also ways, and this is a very technical, but you can pool the money so that if a couple of you are in the same district, you may be able to put your money together and get some really... Um, Success, you know, um, a program of professional development that might be once a month for all of the schools or, you know, something of that nature. Absolutely. And now let's pause for a brief moment for a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to hear a little bit about delivery of services. Today's podcast is made possible by our ambassador partner, Archangel Education and Technology. Archangel supports Catholic schools by not only putting technology in the hands of our students, but also by supporting leaders and teachers with outstanding professional development. In-person and virtual options are available. Thank you, Archangel Education and Technology. To learn more about how Archangel can support your school's technology or professional development needs, please contact 866 747 Four four eight six. Again, that number is 866-747-4486. Welcome back. I'm here with Sister Dale McDonald, and we're talking about federal funding. Um, what should our administrators know about delivery of services when it comes to funding? Well, uh, delivery of services is a required topic of consultation, and um, the thing you know that overarches everything. I mentioned at least once before that the services that we're trying, good services, the programs we're trying to put in place must be designed to meet the needs of the students. It's student need, not district and and 
private school administrators' convenience. I think that's a really important piece. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what you need to know is there are a variety of ways in which services can be delivered to the student. So they can be directly to the student, one-on-one, -on -one, some kind of instruction, or indirectly through technology, through you know virtual learning, computer-assisted technology, or a means of professional development services to the educators so that um, you may have uh, two teachers trained in some kind of reading specialty that would provide those services in an ongoing way to the student rather than the student having a couple of sessions of one-on-one -on -one tutoring and reading. So that's, a, that's one way. Um, the, the services, you know, may be delivered in the private school and, and insist on it being delivered in the private school. That's clear as long as the students are pulled out of the classroom. Even if you have 100% of the kids, they can't all be, uh, it can't be taught as, a, um, as if a, a, a professional uh, was being paid to teach okay. in your school. These are compensatory services. So, uh, so it's important to know uh, that pedagogically it makes sense to have the children receive the services in the school rather than travel someplace else to get them. Uh, and then the services may be delivered, you know, by employees of the public school district, which usually they are, or through a third party contractor. And that we got very clearly put into this last authorization of the bill, that a discussion of third party providers is, is a topic of conversation. So the LEA is required to listen to the private school request. Um, and if it's not willing to grant it, um, it has to provide the private school officials the reasons why not in reading, in writing. And then if the private school official um, thinks it's, you know, a frivolous reason or finds, you know, something amiss in that, in that then they may, they may appeal that. So first I would recommend you deal with the ombudsman for your state um, to talk about how this might be remedied. And if in the end, if they don't give you a reason, they don't put it in writing um, or um, it's, you know, we, we never did it. We don't want to start. It's not, a, it's not an acceptable reason. You could then apply to the state education to appeal to the state education department for relief. So, you know, the, the purpose of the program, I say again and again, is to give the best possible options for the student to succeed. And so it's important in discussing the delivery of services. And, and the other pieces, services can be, can be provided before school and after school or during summer school. Um, lots of of schools will have a two or three week summer instructional program that is funded by and carried on by, uh, by title programs and uh, carried on by a third party provider. Uh, the other thing is, you know, your the private school teachers could be part of a before school program, an after school program, or a summer school program. But when they do that, it's a part from the regular instruction and, um, they are paid by the district and are supervised by the district. I know it sounds overwhelming as well, but I know I found that once I 
had that plan that I gave to the district, I was able to repurpose it every year. It worked for me, the layout worked. And so I was able to just update it every year. And then as far as the services go, that that too, that first couple of years, I had to get really creative on how I was going to serve the students best. But once I got that into place, it wasn't recreating the wheel every year. I, I think that's important. Um, and, and also, I remember you giving the tip last time that I really liked was check back because you might have funds left over that you can spend in the spring that maybe you didn't realize you still have left over. So I like that right. tip. <laughs> how, how important is establishing that positive working relationship with the LEA coordinator along this process? Right. I mean, consultation is the key to the success of these programs. Um, you know, if, if the consultation process doesn't go well, you're not going to have effective programs. So it's really important to work with the district personnel um, and, and let them know you want the program to work well for them as well as for the students. Um, and, you know, it's important to pause and um, look at the big picture as you get into some of the nitty gritty and occasionally um, you may not want to challenge right away, see how the whole program goes. So, I mean, it, it's basically, you know, establish a personal relationship with them. And, um, you know, if, if both of us come in with the perspective, you know, it's not my money, mm -hmm. um, it's, allocated for the benefit of the student. And um, it's important. And I think that's, you know, part of the working relationship by going in with the documents in your hand, you let them know that nicely, but you let them know that you know what's supposed to happen and that um, you feel responsible to have that happen for your students and teachers. Um, and that, um, you know, you want to make this work. Um, the other thing is, you know, they need to know if stuff gets a little testy. Um, this is not the way consultation is supposed to go. Um, I'm supposed to sign a form at the end that says we did the proper consultation. I won't sign it if we don't attend to this in the proper way. And, you know, and again, you reserve that. If things are going well, just go with the flow. So you know, arguing, arguing and, and getting testy uh, on both sides is just not going to benefit anybody. Right. And and in some cases, you're going to be working with this, this person year after year, and it just makes it that much better to have a positive working relationship. I, I know just... Yeah, I know despite that, my first year, my first year where I was, I walked away and was told, I don't do that and you don't qualify. I went back, you know, and I, I took my papers with me. I did a little research and, you know, I was armed with the information and, and ready. And, you know, all I needed really was the basic understanding, the resources, and to know despite what someone else may be telling me, my students qualified. And, you know, I was able to get my funding and, and I didn't have to be an expert but I had to know enough to, in order to represent my students well. Right. That's it. That's key. So 
you mentioned the resources on the ncea.org website. They can go there to get more information. Um, and I, I think the information there is very, very clear and um, helpful, definitely. Right. And it's important, you know, the parts that I have there are the law, the regulations, and the guidance documents as they pertain to the private school. I don't have the whole thousand-something pages of these documents, <laughs> the law, especially the law. But the, the section that deals with private school um, students and teachers is there. And, uh, you know, we've done some webinars on this. I know we have some resources on the NCEA website where I've done more explanation of particular programs and things to pay attention to. So that could also be consulted in our NCEA resources. Those are some of our most popular webinars, Sister Dale, is your title funding Thank webinars, you. very well attended. <laughs> so you have had a long and very successful career in a Catholic education, as we said. To what do you attribute this longevity? Well, my commitment is to children, and I, I've never lost that, that passion to see what we can do to provide children with an education that um, is the key to their future. I mean, education is the key to a successful life. And, um, you know, every, every child deserves an opportunity uh, for an excellent education. And, you know, unfortunately, too many poor children, and they're generally a lot of them, the benefits of these programs, you know, are denied the opportunity simply by their zip code. You know, they can't um, break out of the cycle of poverty and uh, violence in which they live and move to another school that provides better resources. Um, and so, you know, my commitment um, is rooted in, you know, my experience and, and primarily really in um, my commitment um, as part of the legacy of our religious congregation, assists uh, the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Um, we were founded in the 1700s in um, Ireland in the era of um, the penal laws and the really uh, suppression of education for uh, Irish children. And our founders set about um, providing um, education, which was illegal at the time, but done secretly. And so that's been part of, you know, our commitment to, and particularly in this period, you know, we're as a congregation are trying to address the needs of women and children you know, who are especially impacted by economic and environmental conditions and racial inequality, all of which, you know, apply to what these title programs are trying to address. So while I'm not directly serving the poor, I think um, I'm trying to make things better um, through the work we do uh, with all of my colleagues um, in providing um, a quality education for our students. And you really do make a difference for so many of us. Thank you. What is your What is your favorite scripture? Um, I always love the passage from Luke about the encounter of Jesus with the two on the way, the road to Emmaus. That's, and I'm always happy that that's the reading, uh, one of the readings at liturgies when we have the annual convention each year. Um, Jesus teaching them simply by, you know, who he was and revealing himself, you know, in, in the breaking of the bread. So that's always a special place for me to go. 
Luke chapter 24. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Um, a favorite childhood teacher and why? Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not really sure of that. You know, I, I went to public school for the first nine years. Um, I had great teachers and great experience. Um, you know, one of the teachers, I guess, that stands out for me was my sixth grade teacher, Miss Woolley. Um, she provided a really well-rounded education. You know, we had time for music and we had time uh, for uh, games. And um, any time we played, I was on the volleyball team, I was on the softball team. Um, but for both boys and girls teams, you know, she was there for the games and then she'd take you out for ice cream sodas afterwards. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was, but the classes were interesting too. You know, I mean, I, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, so she gave me, you know, a sense of a teacher who really gave to her students um, and was interested, not just in that they all passed, but that, you know, we were all treated well and treated each other well. Um, so I guess maybe, you know, she's someone that um, I, I took a lot of lessons for, particularly, you know, in the years that I was teaching grammar school. I taught mostly high school, but I had a couple of years in teaching seventh and eighth grade. Very nice. Any shout outs today? Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm always appreciative and, and, and thank, you know, all the colleagues I've shared this journey with, you know, both at NCEA and among our, all of our members. Um, and then I've worked over the years with people at USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the Council for American Private Education, you know, and, and federal agencies, particularly the Office of Non-Public Education at the Department of Ed. Um, the people I've worked with over the years there have been really committed to helping us serve our students. And, um, you know, a special gratitude for all those teachers and administrators who, particularly over the last few years, did heroic work during the COVID period. Um, and I guess most especially, you know, our parents who make great sacrifices to send their children to our schools. And, um, as I say, make great sacrifices for that. So I applaud them and, and all their efforts and hope we can do more to help them. Yes, I, I do as well. Well, it's been a pleasure. Every time I hear you speak on federal funding, I learn something new. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your busy time with us today, Sister Dale. Happy to do it and look forward to seeing you and hopefully a lot of people out there at the NCEA convention. Absolutely. Where we'll, I'll be talking on this topic. <laughs> yes, yes. So you get refresher and take some notes. So, okay, administrators, if you haven't already, it is never too late to reach out to your LEA and make that connection. And don't worry if you haven't done it yet. It's okay. Just get it done. I'm always available by email. Just go online at the NCAA website. You can contact me. Thank you for that. That's special. Yes, ncea.org. You can look at our staff, find Sister Dale, and email our expert right there. <laughs> and thank you to our NCA podcast community. Don't forget, the most valuable resource we have is each other. Do you or someone you know have something worth sharing? Let's connect. We could be visiting your diocese and introducing you as our next podcast guest. Thank you. Thank you.